So uh, I'll bet when you got ready for church, maybe you were praying or whatever, you uh, didn't expect to see that, right? That is uh, a tribe that's located uh, east of New Guinea. They're pretty much in the uh, middle of nowhere. They're called the uh, Venuatu tribe. And uh, I don't know, when I was a kid, I used to watch Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Do you guys ever watch that? Or am I dating myself? Um, but uh, basically, it was like the Discovery Channel before there was a Discovery Channel. And um, I remember seeing a documentary on this particular tribe. And, and so you, you and I, we're, we're pretty sophisticated people um, for the most part. And, uh, and so we look at something like that. And I don't know what goes through your mind. Um, uh, what goes through my mind is like, you know, that's not how you bless a yam harvest. Uh, you know, you don't need to do that, you know. And so if you were visiting that tribe, you might go and watch everything that's going on. You might see somebody break their neck or you might see, uh, you know, stuff, you know, where you're just trying to figure, figure it out. And so you, you'd say to them, hey, you know, that tower is like super impressive. Good job on the tower. Okay. Um, but the, the jumping off part, uh, you, you know, you don't have to, to do that. You don't have to jump tie vines to your legs and, and jump off. Like, it has nothing to do with, it's not blessing the yam harvest, okay? You don't have to do that. And they would look at you, and they would crack up laughing. Because for generations, this is what they did. This is their culture. This is what you do. You, you, as when you were a little boy, you would, you know, your parents would put you to bed. And, you know, now someday, uh, you know, dad might have a, a conversation with his son, you know, the talk. And he might say, son... Someday you're going to become a man. And I just want to have this talk with you that, you know, make sure that your vines aren't too long and make sure they're not too short. You know, I don't know how it works, but from the time the little kid's little, this is a rite of passage for them to become men. And so from the time they were small, well, they'd think, you know, hey, well, you know, well, hey, someday I'm going to be able to jump off the tower. The tower's sitting in the middle of town, you know, for what town they have. Like that's the, that's the center of their culture is this tower. And so, so, you know, and, and then, and then there's always that kid growing up, uh, who's like, you know, am I the only one here that doesn't think this is a good idea? You know, and he's made fun of, and he's a, he's a nerd and a square and doesn't know what it's like to be a real man and just tie the vines on your leg and shut up. You know, it's like a, it's kind of all this peer pressure of tying vines on your legs and all this kind of stuff. And finally, maybe someday he goes out on the edge and he's like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You know, and off he goes and who, who, who knows how it goes. But you'd go and you'd see all this and maybe you'd have these conversations with these people who jump off of this tower and, uh, and you'd know it, it's not wise, but, but they don't know. And so then you'd go back to America where we just don't do this kind of stuff. We don't, we don't build towers in America and, and, and jump off them. We're very sophisticated. Well, okay, you can bungee jump, okay? But there's lots of safety stuff in there you don't have to worry about. See, here's, here's what I'm hoping we can get through as we begin just the process this morning of beginning a new series. I think we do this all the time. I think we create towers all the time in our lives. 
I think we build structures from our culture that have great importance, and we start our kids out very young, saying, someday you'll be able to. I think sometimes in my own life, I build structures that I think are really important, and when you were to look at them, you'd think they're so impressive. And the Lord sits back, and he goes, you know, you don't have to do that. You don't, you don't have to do that. It doesn't have any effect on your yam harvest. (laughs) Like it's great and it's impressive and I appreciate all the hard work, but the end goal isn't worth your time. It's not the meaning and purpose. I know it's been the center of your world, but there's another kingdom, another world out there that if you could get a taste of it, if you understood what it was about, you'd realize you don't have to do that. And that's the way the, the, the Lord is. And yet, for us, we, we get to maybe our career, and we begin building it, and we begin putting the posts in, and we begin getting it all the big foundation ready, and we want to make sure it's sturdy, and we, we, we kind of keep building our career and keep building it. And when it begins to topple over, we tie a vine on one end and make sure it's secure, and all of a sudden it gets, we get to the very top of our career, and we tie vines on, and we retire. <laughs> Some of you are like, I didn't have vines when I retired. I just jumped, right? Yeah. I get it. I get it. Some of us, for us, we're in a relationship and we're so afraid of being alone that we have this thing and we're with this person and it's not working out that great so we shore up one side and yeah, he's kind of mean to me sometimes but that's just because I, I, he's stressed out so I'm going to build up and shore up so it's starting to topple this way so I'm going to do this and, and, and I'm, I'm going to kind of help make this relationship work because I'm so afraid of being alone and we'll build it and I'll, I'll, I'll make some different decisions that I shouldn't have made but if you understood my situation you'd understand I get all the time and then we get married. And it doesn't work out. The tower is great. Good job on the tower. <laughs> it's an impressive tower. But it goes to nowhere. And in the end, you're just jumping off, hoping you don't die. And hoping you don't get a concussion at the least. Some of us do this with uh, all sorts of stuff, our time and our finances and all these different things. Some of us grew up in a home, uh, a family that was um, really dysfunctional. And so at a very young age, you were told stuff like you wouldn't amount to anything or you, so you, were told, you, you, you were told that your brother was smarter than you or your sister was smarter than you. Hold on, I'm sorry. They are not smarter than me. Okay, anyway. Brought back some memories. You told all this kind of stuff. You're, you, you were told, you know, you know uh, it seemed like everyone was getting attention. You wouldn't get attention. You begin to start building a life. And this, you're going to show them that you can amount to something. And so you tell them about your promotions. And you tell them about this. And you tell them about all your accomplishments. And, and it doesn't seem like everyone cares. And you start learning. You're like, I'm going to, I can't stand my Uncle Joe. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to learn. He says, I don't know this. I'm going to learn that topic so that I can teach him a lesson, and then you get to the very top, and it's like, Christmas dinner, you know, you're like, gonna show them at Christmas time, this is it, it doesn't work, see, I I think we have a heavenly father that loves us enough to, to, to tell us it's not gonna work, 
and loves us enough to kind of sit, sit back a little bit and let us build because he wants us to learn something. This entire series is about that heavenly father. This entire series is about are we building in the wrong spot? Are, are, we, are, we, are we trying to get something out of life that God, can only come through God and yet we're trying to get it through other means? This book that we're going through, Good and Beautiful Life, is based on um, the Sermon on the Mount. This was Jesus' first sermon, and it was a big deal. And, and what Jesus was doing was essentially arriving on earth to the Vianutu tribe and trying to explain to them that the way you see religion, the way you see your life, the way you see poverty, the way you see uh, family, the way you see everything is, is backwards. And I'm going to show you another way. Um, the Bible calls it the gospel or the good news. So Jesus shows up and he says, I got some good, good news for you. I've got this gospel. And here's how he starts it off, which seems kind of, um, uh, you know, harsh maybe. But he says this, and maybe you've seen this as you drive on Valley View Boulevard by where I live uh, there's a guy who is wearing this on a sandwich board, and he has a bullhorn. Um, and that's what it says. It says, repent for the kingdom of God is in your midst. Or if you have a different version, the kingdom of God is at hand. And, and so there is that element of it. It, it kind of seems bullhornish. You know, it kind of seems like guy on the street corner. Repent, the kingdom of uh, God is in your midst. In other words, you're going to burn if you don't make this decision. You're, you're, you're going, and, and there's an element to that. But, but really, the, the, the Greek word here for repent is metanoia, and it means to change your mind, to change the way you think. That, that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God, listen to me, is any place God is reigning, okay, where he has full reign, just like a king. Where the king reigns, that's the kingdom. And so uh, James Bryan Smith, the author of Good and Beautiful Life, says it this way. This is the way repent, the kingdom of God is in your midst. You could say it this way. Change the way you've been thinking, a life of intimacy and interaction with God is now in your midst. Change the way you've been thinking. You, you can, you can, it doesn't have to be like this. You don't have to build those towers. You don't have to jump off the tower. It has nothing to do with success in your life. It has nothing to do with your value. It has nothing to do with the way God thinks about you. Those towers, tear them down. Change the way you're thinking. You're trying to get meaning and purpose where there is none, where there can be none. Jesus, when he came on the scene, he, he said this, repent, change your mind. The kingdom of God is right here. I'm going to show you a different way. One of the things Jesus said uh, was this in, in Matthew chapter 7. He, he, he says, listen, for, for those people who hear my words and put them into practice, you're like a man who builds his house on the rock. The rains come, the streams rise, the wind comes, but it stays solid. He says, that's when you, when you hear these words of mine, you put them in practice. And then he, he says this, these indicting words. Um, for those who hear these words of mine and do not put them into practice, you're like a man who's built his house. You've built this impressive tower 
that looks awesome. And I'm sure in the culture you're in, you are the top dog. You know, the guy who jumps from the very top, he, he's the one in charge of the yam harvest. He, he's the one who jumps from the highest, uh, uh, and then he, he's got to hit it. If he doesn't hit his head, the, the yam harvest isn't blessed, uh, okay? So he's got he's to hit his head, but then, you know, there's a tension to be managed while hitting your head. Uh, on the one hand, you'd like to hit your head. On the other hand, you don't want to hit your head too hard. And so there's a bit of physics and uh, geometry and stuff involved in that. But that guy, he's like top dog of the village. The head whacker? He's like, dude. Dude, it's like, it's like, he's like the quarterback. It's like you're walking through the halls and he's, he's big man on tower, okay? He's like the, he's the dude. Now, you, you see him and you're just like, wow, dude, nice head smack, you know, great job. Way to go, yam boy. We're, we're all set. We're ready to go. He's, he's honored. Now, look, we go, we laugh, right? Why would you honor Edwack boy? Like, why would you honor him? Well, we do it all the time, don't we? Don't we honor a lot of towers that really aren't worth anything? We, 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 we give three-hour specials on television to those towers. We, we pay money for those towers. We dream. Sometimes I, I used to dream, and you know, having Zane here as a guest was awesome, except it reminded me when I was in college, college, like trying to get your education. I remember being in my dorm room, playing ACDC, you know, trying to, like just imagining myself before the crowds playing ACDC. I mean, I wasn't, it was a Christian ACDC. ACJC. I don't know. What? Okay, forget that. This is, stick to your notes. Yam boy, stick to your notes. Okay. But this is it. I mean, I mean, I, I used to think about that. Like, oh man, it would be awesome to, oh wow. And I, all these fantasies, I'd build my towers and be like, oh yay, it would be so awesome. And Jesus says, look, if, if, you'd, if, you'd, if you'd hear my words and you put them into practice, the stuff that's going to come that's going to knock down your tower in two seconds, if you can get a hold of this kingdom concept, you'll, it'll be strong. So uh, here, here's the way this, the series is going to go. Um, so we're going through this book, Good and Beautiful Life, and so uh, I'd encourage you, we're, we're running out of them. <laughs> I think we only have five or six left, um, but two, okay, or two, whatever, um, <laughs> So, yeah, someone's like, beep, 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 okay. Uh, so if we run out of them, we run out of them, you can get them on Amazon. They're 20 bucks, and you have them sent to your door. Uh, we can order another thing and have them by Sunday, but I need to know you, wanna, you need them. So anyway, there's that. Or you can download them on your Kindle or uh, mobile device for $9.99. But here's the thing. So, so we're going through this book together, and this, these first two weeks are kind of an intro and this allows us to maybe, maybe I've said something already and you've been like, man, you know what? It'd be really great if this person from work could hear this. It'd be really great if, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite some hope. So we've left these two weeks kind of open for you to begin to get, get up to speed and get some people who might not, who, who might be building towers that aren't worth anything. And so, so this first couple weeks is the first three chapters. They're not very long at all. You can read them to get caught up. But then from then on out, we're going to do one chapter a week. 
And, 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 and sometimes the sermon will be different than the chapter. Sometimes it'll be the same. And uh, you might go to your small group and find a point that you just love. And it's not even addressed here. That's the point. And so what it's based on is the Sermon on the Mount. So, so each week you'll ter- talk about what is it like to have a life built that has no line in it. Where you don't have to fudge numbers. You don't have to do that. What, what does that look like? What, what does it look like to have a life that has no anxiety in it? What does it look like to build a tower that has no anxiety in it? What does it look like to not ha- have to worry about uh, prideful things, my status and where I fit with everyone else? What does it look like to bless those who curse you? What, what kind of life is that? And I believe the answer is it's the good and beautiful life. And so, so each week we're going to go over one of these chapters. And then uh, uh, each week, hopefully, you'll have somebody, whether it's your small group. Our small group went through, went through the first uh, section on Friday. Um, your small group, or maybe someone from work, or a couple friends, or maybe you want to Skype a meeting with somebody you know that moved to Indiana. Pray for them, but just, you know, they live in Indiana. But uh, you want to Skype with somebody, or what have you. But, but, but the point is to go through the book with somebody, so you can begin to say, maybe open up a little bit and go, you know what, this, this one particular area I'm, I'm really struggling with. And so we'll go through uh, all, all those, and each week there'll be, a, there'll be an exercise uh, with it. Some of the exercises are going to be uncomfortable for you, and some of them will be very comfortable for you. But you can get as much or as little out of this series as you want. And my prayer, and my prayer has been, because I've known about this series for three months, as we've kind of tried to flesh it out, my prayer is that you would get the most out of this. That you would begin to make decisions in your life based on, is this, which kingdom am I serving right now? And you would begin to see God move in your life in ways maybe you've never seen before. So, Let's, uh, let's take a look. Um, this is from the first uh, kind of chapter. What we're going to do is we're going to look at some of these false narratives. So for the Vianutu tribe, their false narrative was, the higher I can jump and hit my head, the better the yam harvest is going to be. Okay? Your false narrative may be, the higher I can move up on my corporate ladder, the more value I have. Uh, yours might be, um, when I have kids, then if I can get married, then if I make a certain amount of money, if I drive a certain car, uh, if, I, if I finally retire, then and these are all false narratives. And the main false narrative is this. Happiness comes from following the principles of this world. That that's, how we, uh, that's where happiness comes from. As a matter of fact, uh, our whole country is based on the idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, Jesus comes with his first sermon, and he says, Happy are those who are poor in spirit. And like the Vianutu tribe, we look and we go, Cuckoo. Jesus, that's not it. One of our false narratives is is that that we should be independent. That independence is the sign of, of success. The Bible turns that on its head and says, no, interdependence is the most important thing. Shalom, universal flourishing. 
So Jesus starts this, and we'll get into the Sermon on the Mount uh, hopefully deeper than we've ever gotten before. But uh, one of the things that James Bryan Smith in this book talks about is six ways to ruin a life. And that's what I want to go through this morning because it really kind of sets up um, what the dangers are if we try to build our towers um, for things that God isn't interested in or if we try to find meaning and purpose in life outside of intimacy and a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Okay, and so Paul, he writes this letter to the Romans, and he, he says, um, he starts out, he loves, he loves this church. He loves them. It's really important for us to get that concept. He loves this church. And so he starts out, and he says, man, I, I'm dying to see you guys. I've been trying to get to you, but I, I haven't been able to, but I just want you to know, I, I really want to see you. Okay, so, so that's the heart Paul's writing with. Because when we get to this section of scripture, you, you, we're gonna, we might miss that point because it's, it's, it's deep theology and it's harsh in a lot of ways. It's, it's, tough. it's, a, it's, a, it's tough to struggle with. But, but, but this is Paul's thing. Like, I love you. I want to see you. And then he says this. He says, I want to see you so that I can impart some gift to you. Like from myself. In other words, this would be someone saying like, hey, I'd love to come talk to your church about some stuff that's going on. Maybe like we saw Don Rogers last week talk about ELI. That would be the same type of thing. I'd, lo I'd love for you to share what's going on in Africa, the work we're doing in Africa. And you guys were so good about partnering with him. It was just fantastic. So congratulations on that. But that's the same thing. Paul says, you know, I'd like to... And then, then, he, then, he, then he, instead of this dependence thing, he says... I want to impart something to you and I want you to impart something to me. Like this, this is the idea of the small groups that we're talking about, that I'm going to share something with you and you share something with me and together we're going to be enriched by that. And so he starts out with that whole idea. Like this is what he wants. And he talks about the gospel, this good news. And he says to them, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of going and saying this tower isn't going to be any good for you. I'm not ashamed to say... Look, I know you've been kind of trying to do this on your own, but I'm just here to tell you. He says, I'm not ashamed of the good news because it's the power of God unto salvation. He talks about that. Then he goes into kind of the six ways to destroy a life. Here's what will happen if you're not careful about how you address your life. Okay? So here's what he does. He starts out, and it's in Romans chapter 1. Starting in verse 20, if you have your Bible or mobile, you read it uh, in the cloud, uh, that's fine. Um, Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 20. If you don't, I'll have the verses behind me. But basically, Paul starts off with this. He says, since the creation of the world, like before there was anybody, God's invisible qualities, and then he, he names a couple of them, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen. Okay? being understood from what has been made. So what Paul's beginning to do is he's starting this idea that if you would just open your eyes and begin to look at creation, you begin to look at the design of creation, you begin to look at the intricacy of creation, you begin to look at the interdependence of creation. We would call it akuta matata. Um, but uh, uh, as you begin to look at those things, all right, uh, you, you, you'll begin to understand a little bit about God. As a matter of fact, you begin to understand so much about God that he adds this little thing so that people are without excuse. 
The, the idea as we look at creation and we look at the different things that God has created and just the magnificence of it all, we, 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 the, the, the conclusion we come to is, wow, there's a, a creator, there's a designer. I wonder what he's like. Okay, that's, that's, that's part of creation. Now, it's not pantheism, which means we take a flower and we look at it and we kind of just stare at it and we find God and we put it in our ear and then we prance around. It's not like that. It's that we look at this flower and we learn and we go, wow, how in the world did this happen? So this is where Paul starts out. Basically, look around. There's a God. And he goes on, and this is, these are the six stages, and we won't spend too much time on them um, because this is just an intro, but it really gives us a, a, a sense of where the dangers are. We'll, we'll look at the first two a little longer, and then the last four, because it's such a slippery slope, we'll kind of power through those a little bit. The first is the turning away. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. This is super important because here's the thing. As if you spend any time in the church or you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a long time, you don't think that applies to you. Because every time I read it, I don't think it applies to me. I'm like, well, I, I, I know God. I, I, don't, I don't just turn away from him. But this is the beginning. Basically what this is saying is the first step is not letting him be God. As a matter of fact, if you were to take the Good and Beautiful Life series and you wanted to just say, if somebody says to you, hey, what are you learning in church for the next 12 weeks? Like, what's your series about? You can say this. It's about letting God be God in every area of my life. That is the Good and Beautiful Life. I I would say it this way. To the extent you can allow God to be God in every area of your life, your life will be good and beautiful even without your circumstances changing, okay? So, it's, it's this, they neither glorified him. In other words, the way we glorify God is allowing him to be Lord of it all, okay? Or gave thanks to him, because once we don't allow him to be, then we have to focus on our own achievements, our own things, and then we can't give thanks to him because we kind of feel like, you know, we did this ourselves. And to some extent, we might have. But, but a life, a good and beautiful life, a life where we let God be God, as these things happen, we go, Lord, thank you for this. Thank you. I gave you this part of my life, and I'm seeing this happening. So the first uh, is the turn away. And so this whole, whole series, and we'll see it each week, we'll say, God, I want to let you be God in my speech. God, I want to let you be God in my time, in my fill-in-the-blank, and we'll fill in uh, ten of them. I want, I want you to be God in my relationships. First is that turning away, not letting him be God. The second thing, and this is kind of where it gets to be a, a bit, not scary, but just like a warning I think Paul is trying to give us. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. The second thing is that the mind darkens. Thinking becomes futile and our foolish hearts are darkened. We begin to miss it and we begin to just start to wander. I don't know if you've ever done that in, my, in your life. I know I have in my own. And, and here's the thing. I love this. Uh, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. 
When our minds begin to be darkened, when we begin to kind of turn from God and do things on our own, it feels smart. It feels like enlightenment. It feels like we kind of know something, you know, well, yeah, I, I know, I, I, got, I know, and I, and I got it, okay? If you've ever raised children, you've seen this a billion times. Uh, they, they professing to be wise, <laughs> right? As, and no offense, kids, I love you. You're cherished cherubs of our church, but it's just what happens, how we mature. Well, there are a lot of adults who never mature. They kind of feel like, hey, I, I, I got this. And, and, and professing to be wise, they become fools. And, and so they begin to build outside of God's, um, outside of God's way. Now, now um, James Bryan Smith says this, our minds thrive on truth and reality. Like we were created to really have truth, and yet there's a part of us, our flesh, that says, I, I, I want to try to do it on my own. Our, our small group, on Friday, as we were talking about this and going over all this stuff, we, we came up with our own small group quote. Uh, so you can quote the book if you want, but it's lame. You should quote your small group, okay? Here's what they came up with. Humility is the rope that rescues us from a darkened mind. Yeah, it's a pretty good small group, okay? <laughs> but but isn't that great? It's, it's one, see, what happens when we begin to turn and we go, you know what? I'm going to do this on my own. It's not until we humble ourselves. This is what Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who just go, you know what? This isn't working. I can tell. And, and the more mature you are, and you've probably met people like this, the more they realize it early and turn like, yeah, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. And so humility is that rope that when you find your mind, you find yourself in a spot where you're like, ah, I don't know, God, help me with this. That's the, that's the rope. All of a sudden, pew, the rope comes down and psh, out you go. But the, the, the uh, warning is that the mind darkens. Our thinking becomes futile and our foolish hearts are darkened. We claim to be wise, but we're really fools. Here's the third thing, idolatry. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made uh, to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Now you and I, because we're in America and we're super smart and we have the internet, um, we, we know we're not going to make little idols like a little lizard. I mean, no one's going to do that. No one's going to have a little bird thing or certainly not a little man idol, unless it's American idol, but we all know that that's not really what it means. And so, so it's like, uh, you know, like we don't, we're smarter than that. We don't have idols. <laughs> but here's the thing. The idol for those people just represented something they're putting their faith and trust in. And so you'd have a little um, idol that uh, had to do with your crops, and so you'd put the idol on and you'd work hard and you'd try to make that God happy. And the better you could do at that, then the, the better your crops would be. And, and if you angered him or her, well, then, you know, that's, that's the thing. Well, we do the same thing. Once we try to get meaning and purpose outside of God, we begin to turn to our idol. 
Maybe it's our career. Maybe it's our, our own bodies where we're trying to keep a certain physique, a certain look that we had when we were in high school. And so we work and work and work and work and work and work and work because we get our identity from how we look. Maybe it's our finest. Maybe it's the car we drive. And so we get into a lease or we get into something and we're just working and working and working to make that payment because when I drive down the road, I'm getting meaning and purpose out of this. And so idolatry becomes the thing. I I love what James Bryan Smith talks about with idols. He says this. He says, idols do not have to be little images. They can be anything we invest our lives in in order to gain pleasure, happiness, and a false sense of purpose. I love this quote right here. The idol serves us by giving us our desires, and we serve it by sacrificing our life energy to it. Now let me ask you, you have any idols? I, I, I do. I have stuff I'm totally tempted to, even stuff that looks good. Like running a church, that boy, that's really spiritual. It can totally become an idol. All of it can. Anything outside of our Heavenly Father. So, so those are the kind of the, 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 the three things that happens. And then, and then this is the, what happens when we start with idolatry is that God leaves us alone. We would call this his wrath. And so, you know, when we think of wrath, we think of just like, you know, God takes a fireball and just, you know, and, you know, rolls it through your house or whatever. And, 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 but really, God's wrath is just his impulsive response. And that is to, to go, okay, fine. You know, tell me how the lizard thing around your neck works for you. And we'll, we'll talk about it later. It's just that God leaves us alone. Like, great, go get your career, and you tell me, build the thing up, and when you tie the rope around your leg and jump off, we'll talk about it later. I mean, he leaves us alone. Here's what it says. It says, therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart. That doesn't mean he put sinful desires in their heart. It means he said, okay, you've turned away. Your mind's beginning to be darkened. You're going after idols. There you go. So he gives them over in the sinful desire Uh, of their hearts uh, to sexual impurity and the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. This is so key to the series that we're heading into. We're going to look at all these different areas in our life and we're going to try to exchange, we're going to try to exchange the lie for truth. We're going to try and do the opposite of what this says. But what happens when God leaves us alone and we're set to ourselves, they exchange the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. And then Paul just adds this little thing, who is forever praised, amen. <laughs> like, just a reminder, he's awesome, okay? It's like, why would you, to kind of get the point across, why would you do that? Why would you exchange a life full of life and joy with your heavenly father for a created thing? Why would you do that? Is essentially what Paul's saying, amen? All right. Five, pleasure is pursued at all costs. Once God leaves us alone and we're set to ourselves to kind of bring meaning and purpose, the fastest way to do that and the easiest way to do it is through our bodies. It's through, it's trying to get pleasure, trying to whatever. And so we'll follow after uh, stuff all over the place and we'll spend time clicking and we'll spend time spending and we'll spend time swiping and we'll spend all this time trying to, to get this. It, it's that pleasure is pursued at all costs because we want to have that feeling of, of 
life. And so we get little things of it. We're like the rat in the cage pressing the button to get the endorphin brush. You know, what the, and they do this, they, I don't know if you've ever seen the thing they do, the experiment where they put probes on where when, whenever the rat touches the button, the endorphins fire and the rat's like, this is awesome. And so the, the rat goes to the little button. He's like, this is awesome, you know, and then jams around a little bit. And he's like, oh, there's that button again. And he keeps doing it until finally he starves to death because he's just like, this is awesome. This is awesome. This is awesome. It's weird because that's just like a mouse click, right? Anyway, um, I'll leave that for you to ponder about. Uh, but here's the thing, it's, it's pursued at all costs. And then finally, sin reigns. Furthermore, just as they did not think, uh, uh, they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. Um, so that darkened mind now becomes a depraved mind. Uh, so that uh, they do what ought not to be done. And sin, sin begins to reign. And you know, some of you have been in that part of your life. You've been trapped. Sin was reigning. And you were thinking, how do I get out of this? What, what, what happened? Now, here is the gospel. <laughs> the good news. Jesus provided a way out of that. Sin doesn't have to reign. And Paul, just to drive the whole point home, he goes through this long list. Just check this out. I, I didn't put up on the, uh, the wall because it's kind of depressing. But listen to this. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. I mean, it's like, basically they're jacked up, right? I mean, this is kind of where the end of, 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 of it. Now, some of you might not be there, right? And so you're thinking, man, this doesn't really apply to me. The whole point of these steps is that unless we get to that first one early of our, our mind being darkened, this is the path. That is the natural path. And it doesn't happen in three days. It doesn't happen in, you know, in a week. It's just slowly, 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 slowly. What this series is about, as the worship team comes back up, what this series is about is catching that early. Where's my, what, what, which kingdom am I serving? Where's my perspective? I want to leave you with one quote before we take communion together. And as uh, Zane uh, plays another song for us. C.S. Lewis says this. Uh, he says, God um, cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because there's, it's not there. There's no such thing. In other words, if, if you're trying to build your life outside of God and asking him for peace and his joy, he, he can't. It's not there. It's only there where God is. And God isn't where you're trying to build your life. God's not there when I, when, I try to, when I turn from him and I go to begin to try and find meaning and purpose outside of God's uh, presence. It's not there. So we, we can't ask for something that God can't give. I mean, you can ask for it, but he can't give you peace when you're on your own. And this whole series is about uh, not being on our own. 